one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Euro Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, and the former England winger Trevor Sinclair as England win their opening game of a European Championship for the first time. England not making any headway. Now Calvin Phillips will try and make a run to split the lines and he's done well, he receives the ball and he turns inside, he slips it in, it's Sterling! And England are off and running! Also with us, Talk Sports' Alex Crook, who's in Scotland ahead of their first game of the tournament against the Czech Republic. McGregor plays it in towards Christie on the edge of the penalty. With his back to go, Christy with a low shot, and Scotland have done it! Plus, a look back on Wales with Nigel Adley, who's in Baku, and of course, we'll reflect on a bonkers game involving the Netherlands and Ukraine. All on the Euro Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. This is Game Day. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Sam. You all right? Yeah, very well. Very happy oh, after please. the performance today. And it well, was sun. It was sunny. You know, it was sunny. a bit sunny for the boys, but it was very nice for me sunbathing in the garden afterwards. Uh, Alex Crook, he's sweating one out in uh, Scotland. I say that because he's broken his air conditioning in his hotel room. He's so heavy-handed already. He's only been there for 24 hours. What have you done? Uh, well, yeah, it got very hot and steamy. Uh, actually, we watched the England game with H&J. Um, and their producers, we enjoyed that. And then we've just been for a, a nice bit of local cuisine. And um, now I'm talking to you guys. Okay, so who was in charge of uh, booking the local cuisine? Jim White or Chris Iwellimo? Well, it was Chris Iwellimo, but I have to pull you up there because he's told me this evening the correct pronunciation of his surname is actually Chris Iwellimo. Not Chris Iwellimo, Iwellimo. All right. So okay, that is so. what you'll be hearing on TalkSport throughout the tournament. I mean, he's been called all sorts of uh, different surnames throughout the course of his career. But we did we did take a trip to Hampden Park as well, checked out our commentary position. Lots of excitement. I can tell you the Scots are very mm. positive, very buoyant going into this tournament. I really enjoyed Wembley today. It was a, a brilliant atmosphere. Only 22,000 in there, but it was uh, it, it was great. It was it was great to have such a authentic soundtrack to a major game at a European Championships. I think England managed it well. We'll get onto that in just a second. It's been a it's been a difficult weekend in some in some respects and we'll touch on Christian Eriksen and our best wishes to him and his family. We should say that right at the very start. Um, and there's been some great games as well, not, not, not least on Sunday night when Ukraine scored twice late on to really give the Netherlands a bit of a scare. Hey, did you know that at the end of Sunday matches, uh, 19 goals in the tournament so far, four in the first half, 15 in the second half of games, Trevor? What's that all about? 
Tiredness, lack of concentration, a bit of uh, urgency in the play. Excitement, though, for the fans. Um, I'm not sure it's uh, excitement for the managers. I think there'll be a few of them going bald or grey. But yeah, I'd love to see it. OK, let's get into it then. Let's start off with England as Raheem Sterling steals the show. Takes it into his stride, will check. Left footed shot across the face of goal. Hits the inside of the post. And Vardy all is out of clear. His first contribution in the major tournament. So nearly ending up in a goal. It's uh, deeper towards John Stones, who's just beaten. It's a volley, right footed volley from the edge of the penalty area. Well hit by Calvin Phillips. And it was a decent save from Livakovic, who got down to his right-hand side. Now Calvin Phillips will try and make a run to split the lines, and he's not well, he receives the ball, and he turns inside, he slips it in, it's Sterling! And England are off and running! Calvin Phillips has made it! Raheem Sterling puts it away, and if he was a man who had a question mark over his place in the starting lineup, well, he has just answered his potential critics. So it goes ball in, it's Kovacic from a crowd of players, locked away, another shot through a crowd of players from Rebic's drag wide. England off to a winning start in the Euros for the first time in their history. England have won every game in which Raheem Sterling has scored and he latched on to Calvin Phillips's through ball to score the only goal of the game against Croatia and put them in command of the group. Good start for England. Uh, lost their way a little bit after 25 minutes or so, but managed the situation well. The man of the match, uh, Phillips, created the goal for Sterling. Trevor, first of all, talk me through the goal. Um, the goal was a great goal. Uh, I think it was, what, 19 passes before uh, Raheem Sterling finished it. Patient, looked after the ball, nice little passing uh, passages. And then it went to um, Phillips, who I thought was outstanding. You just touched on him there. Um, and it, it was just a, it was a good first touch, took it beyond the defender. And then with his opposite foot, his left foot, he just slid a ball into the path of Raheem Sterling, who, you know, made a great out-to-him run, as wingers are supposed to do, or wide players are supposed to do. Got a good contact and managed to get the ball in the back. And I thought it was a great goal. I thought it was a team goal. And I thought it was everything that we kind of represented today you know we moved the ball quickly at times I know you said that the, probably the last 20 minutes of the first half we was a little bit I think that was down to the, the heat Yeah. you know I remember playing in 30 degree heat uh, out in Japan and it's, it's you know you, you go out there with all the right intentions but eventually the sun saps you and the heat saps you but I just thought they managed the game really well and that goal kind of epitomised everything that was good about our play today I think we should point out just how hot it was the very fact that in Scotland Crookie can't cope it's so hot there um, look at him he's, he's chugging water like you wouldn't believe it's, it's a quarter past ten at night he's bright red he's, he's pouring sweat everywhere I mean he, he can't cope that's how hot it is in Scotland I can tell you at Wembley at Pitchside before we kicked off today it was 35 wow. degrees we got a thermometer we took a picture of it 35 degrees pitch side. Now, we're not used to that, playing football like that in this country. And it was something that quite a few of the boys referenced afterwards. The only one who seemed incredibly comfortable with it was Kieran Trippier because he's been spending time in La Liga. That team selection raised eyebrows, didn't it? Trippier, 
on the left instead of an orthodox right back. Why? It, well, I think the whole team selection raised eyebrows and I'm, I'm very grateful and surprised that you haven't referenced the message that I sent you when the team came out that said negative <laughs> tactics by a negative manager. Because I would stitch you up like that. <laughs> obviously, it wasn't just Trippier playing out position at left back. It was the two holding midfielders in Rice and Phillips. But Phillips showed today he's got much more to his game than, than just being a defensive midfielder. So that was a decision that paid off. Raheem Sterling, I think, took a little bit of offence when he was asked on television afterwards, have you justified your position? He clearly feels he doesn't need to justify his position. But nonetheless, it was a big call by Gareth Southgate, given that most of the country, I think, were baying for Jack Grealish to get the start. But you have to say, he got those big decisions right. And just to reference the point you made about goals in the second half, and I think it's pertinent with England as well, what we will see in this tournament is that the nations with the stronger squads will improve and will benefit in the second half from the fact they can bring on five subs. And I think Gareth Southgate used his bench well as well. Yeah, although not all of it, but he um, did use his bench uh, well. He brought on Bellingham as well. We actually made a difference right at the very end, just breaking things up in the middle of the park. Became the youngest ever um, European Championship player at 17 years and 349 days, although it's a record that could be beaten by Poland's Kasper Kozlowski on Monday afternoon. So he might not be the youngest player in the Euros for two Long. I actually thought that it wasn't that much of a surprise, the team selection, and I didn't think that it, it was worthy of much criticism because if you listen to Jose Mourinho on TalkSport on Friday morning between 9 and 10 with Alan Brazil, he basically told you what had to happen. He, he, he said, you know, there needs to be a strong midfield. There needs to be two holding midfielders, defensive midfielders, or, or midfielders with, a, with, with, with wing mirrors who can see what's going on, can understand mm. the danger and can sense it and can make sure they protect. He also said breaking up play in the middle of the park was really important, something that England did really well. They stopped Modric from getting into any sort of rhythm. And he was pretty clear right from the very beginning that that triangle of Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic had to be disrupted. I think the trippier thing, maybe because he knows Vasalko and knows his strengths and knows what he's going to do. So he's pretty clear on how to, to deal with him because they play together at Atleti. Maybe to cover Mings, who actually played very, very well, despite causing a few concerns in the warm-up matches. Southgate said one of the main reasons he picked Kieran Trippier, though, Trevor, was because he was a stabilising influence, citing the fact that he would talk all the way through and he's very, very disciplined. Very disciplined, very confident after winning La Liga with Atletico, proven at international major tournaments and got a lot of experience. I think all them things apply in games like this. The first game, the opening game of a tournament, really important that you don't give anything cheap away. I thought he was reliable. I thought he did very well on his left-hand side. As you just mentioned, Mings, for me, didn't put a foot wrong. And it's shown on several occasions how important it was that he could open it up onto his left-hand side, being that left centre-back. I thought the, the back four defensively didn't put a foot wrong. I thought they were excellent. I thought Walker in possession at times was a bit sloppy. Yeah. Uh, but we can, you know, we can allow that because he makes up for, for that so much with his defensive uh, attributes. But, you know, all in all, I didn't think there was that many surprises. I think Trippier was a surprise because I actually thought that if he was going to play a four, he'd play sure because he's good at one-on-one -on -one situations. But the back, the middle two in Phillips and Rice, I, I wasn't surprised about that. Um, the three across the middle, I always thought he was going to have speed in there because at international level, as we've seen today, at times you need players to break the lines with good runs in behind. And I thought Sterling did that superbly well, Foden at times. But the I think the surprise element was, 
at the amount of times that Phillips and he's shown his great fitness, um, which Bielsa has worked very hard with him to get it to a, a real elite level. And that showcased his ability and his runs off the ball were outstanding. So all in all, I thought it was an excellent performance from England. I think if you've any criticism, I think Kane was a bit quiet. He was really he quiet. He so very deep as well, didn't he? You know, and I think that position that he keeps taking up where he drops into almost a midfield position is going to cause a lot of discussion between now and the end of the group stage, Crook. Yeah, and again, you've got the question marks about his future. Is that going to affect him mentally? I know privately that's something that maybe Gareth Southgate is concerned about. And fitness-wise as well, to me, he still doesn't quite look 100% match fit. And when it is hot and, and sweltering and when games are coming as thick and fast as they are, maybe there needs to be a bit of game management. I wonder if it could be a problem, the fact they, they haven't picked too many number nines. When he went, when he went down and collided with the post, I, I said to Andy Jacobs, well, at least we've got plenty of number nines to come in. We haven't. You know, he's so important. We do have to wrap him up in cotton wool. And I think Gareth Southgate is going to have to manage his game time. Yeah, and he did that. He took him off, uh, I think, with about sort of, 10, 15 minutes to go, didn't he, in the game against uh, uh, Croatia. Uh, big game for England on Friday night. Uh, let's hear from the England manager, Gareth Southgate, who was speaking after the programme to Faker others. Um, they're very pleased with the performance as much as anything. I think you, you come into a major tournament, um, you want to give a good account of yourselves. And, of course, we know that the first objective is qualifying from the group. So today... You want the win, but to not lose is, is also important in those, in those occasions. Um, but I was really impressed with how they settled quickly into the game with and without the ball. You know, our pressing was good throughout the team. We used the ball with intelligence and with some quality. And, um, you know, I felt we probably deserved to be ahead before we, we got the goal. But then we also managed the game well you know we, we didn't really invite too much pressure there's always going to be moments that long throw at the end and um, but I thought we were pretty controlled throughout he believes um, that um, the result relieves a bit of pressure Trevor um, we know that everybody who got four points last time in this format at the Euros in 2016 went through so pretty much England just need a point to secure a place in the in, in the knockout stages of this competition. What does that allow him to do? I think like we just touched on there, it allows him to potentially rest um, Harry Kane because Dominic Carvert-Loon can play in there. I do feel it's a shame that we've not brought Ollie Watkins because I do think he'd bring something different to that lineup. He's quick, he scores goals. Um, but I do think it allows us to rotate and keep the squad harmony because there's certain players, none other than Jack Grealish, who might feel why have I not got a minute there? He, he It allows him to play players like that. But saying that, I don't think it gives us the liberty to do that against Scotland at Wembley because I think that's a game where the rivalry is so fierce and the banter at work on the Monday morning will be so fierce if we don't win that, that Gareth will feel, and the players will feel responsibility of making sure that they get the right result there. It's a big psychological boost, isn't it? Because I think I'm right in saying this is the first time England have ever won their opening match of a European Championship. First time in turn that Croatia have ever lost their first match at a championship. And that is another milestone for Gareth Southgate. They got over the penalty hoodoo at the World Cup. He is someone who is a student of the game. He will be aware of such historical facts. And I think most of the country were quite pleased with what they saw today. I described it as solid, if not spectacular. Um and I think that's probably a fair assessment, but we've talked about it before, Sam. You've been a big advocate of growing into tournaments. And I think this one gives England the springboard to do that. 
Yeah, it's also the first major tournament, by the way, uh, first major tournament match in which England have had no Liverpool or Manchester United player in the starting eleven uh, since the Euro 1992's group stage. Going yeah, three Manchester France. City players. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, and a couple of uh, uh, Chelsea boys involved as well, Champions League winners. Um, it's not about club rivalries. Just no, we're in it together. Just yeah. going back on what Crookie said, that I think that's a little bit harsh on the performance because I think when you look at the tactics that we played and we had a high press for as much as the game as we could, because obviously with the heat yeah. you couldn't do that for the whole game. But I thought we limited them so much. They didn't have a threat in behind. So that high press was definitely the right tactic. Um, and I, I just thought we, we did that really well at the right times. And uh, at times you looked at Croatia. Remember, they got to the World Cup final, what, four years, five years ago? Three. They couldn't even, they couldn't even get out three years different ago. Different team now. Dif- different team now. They, could, really but they that, couldn't get out. They have players like team. There are more players in their team from the semi-final in 2018 than we had from that semi-final yeah. in 2018. Yeah, but they're all a bit older now. I mean, Modric, a, a casing point. I actually said before kickoff, and I got laughed out of town, that... I think Croatia might finish bottom of this group. We haven't no. yet seen the Czech Republic in action as we record this podcast, but I don't fancy Croatia at all. Listen, it's a good win for England. It's a springboard. I won't get carried away. And I, I think that's probably the right way to go. All right. I think you'll find uh, that I sent you a text message earlier on, which I will read out. I think you'll find, Crook, um, that it was a very sensible performance, dear boy. Nothing over the top. Ease into the tournament. Pressure off. Incredibly hot. Good day's work. Uh, to which Dear you, boy. To which, to which you replied, yes. Because um, <laughs> he's very negative. You know, you got what you got to understand, Trevor, ever since he's become Jock McCrook up there in Scotland and he started to adopt a different nation, he's beca- well, he's always been negative anyway. He's quite a negative guy when it comes to England. Um, <laughs> he's been very, very negative. I don't like it. I want, you know, I want a bit of positivity. We've been locked away for 13 months. I want, I want him to try and be happy. But you know what? You know, we sent him up to Scotland, turned off the air conditioning, and uh, made him pay for his own food. So by the time he comes back to England, he'll be in a great mood. Um, (laughs) Right. One thing I do want to bring up is squad unity. You mentioned it briefly. Jaden Sancho and Ben Chilwell were not selected for the 23. Now, you've got a 26-man squad. Harry Maguire's injured. You've only got 23 that you can take into the stadium as part of the match day squad. So you have to leave three behind. So with Maguire injured, that means two have to be excluded. How surprised were you that it was Jaden Sancho and Ben Chilwell that weren't given the opportunity to sit on the bench? And, and Bukayo Saka was on the bench. Jordan Henderson, who's not 100% fit, was on the bench. I spoke to the England um, management team and asked them what the decision was based on. They said it was just to do with balance uh, as far as replacements were concerned. Nothing to do with fitness, no injuries, no issues. I think also that they must believe that those two players are not going to kick up a stink if they're left out of the match day squad. I'm sure that probably does come into their thinking. And certainly in the case of Jaden Sancho, he's a young player experiencing a major tournament for the first time. I think he will get his chance. I think they'll probably both get their chance because we've mentioned the conditions and it comes at the end of a long season domestically. That The squad is going to have to be utilised. I'd imagine both of those players will be on the bench for the Scotland game. And aren't I right in saying also that UEFA have a ruling that you have to name two sub-goalkeepers yeah. on the bench? Yeah. Which seems strange to me. I, I don't really understand that. When, you, when you've allowed a 26-man squad, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have two well, goalkeepers. It's, it's because the, the normal way that you construct your squad has to have three goalkeepers in it. 
and that would be 23. So your 23 is your your match day squad. So you have to continue that tradition of having three goalkeepers because that way it's all completely equal. I think there was a there was a there was a situation actually in a World Cup once when a uh, I think it was North Korea tried to name a striker as a goalkeeper um, to get him an extra body <laughs> into the squad. It didn't work. Um, no. FIFA sniffed that out pretty quickly. Right, England's next game is against Scotland on Friday night. Um, Scotland faced the Czechs live on Talk Sport before that Monday afternoon. And here's what Alex Crook, Jim White, and Chris Iwellemo got up to the night before in Glasgow. Gents, here we are on the eve of Scotland's first game at a major tournament since France 1998. Chris, I know you're absolutely petrified. <laughs> Jim, how are you feeling? Um, pretty much the same to be honest Alex, now that I'm in Glasgow. Uh, I must admit, looking at Big Chris here, I wish he was part of the squad because we could do with someone like him and his build. He would do as a turn tomorrow. Um, I feel great, I must admit, I cannot believe it. I'm pinching myself that I'm here because I was at the last finals that Scotland were at. I was in France 23 years ago talking to people like Gordon Jury and Craig Burley and Gary McAllister. And we had great players then, but Alex, we've got great players now. And I, I feel fantastic about it. I really do, we should embrace this. The fact is Scotland are here and it's what we do now. But. Listen, our presence alone enhances this tournament and the supporters being inside Hamden, it adds up to what could be a magical day. Just off the bat, you see I'm petrified. Pet good nerves. It's good nerves, you know, and it's one of those that the players will be, be feeling that as well. And they've just got to use that energy, take it out there and like you say, on the front foot. I think so much confidence to be taken from the performances over the probably the last 18 months. You know, obviously qualifying being here in a healthy position in the, in the World Cup qualifying group as well. So again, there's quality and depth. The players all want the same thing. Can they go and achieve something that's never been done before? Get to the knockout stages. And I just feel with the with the layout of this, the format of this this competition, the opportunities there. So it's about, like you say, not playing the occasion, going out there playing the game that we know that the boys can go out there and do. You and I watched England earlier get their campaign yep. off and running alongside Hawksby and Jacobs in, in another pub in Glasgow. <laughs> um, did you see anything from either England or Croatia to strike fear into Scotland? Well, you know what, England, you know, the quality that they have, you know, the, 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 the players. When that game comes along, and I know the big ones tomorrow, Scotland have to be at their best. And even then, yeah. even if England are fives and sixes and sevens, they still have individual players that can turn the game on its head. Yeah. The one moment of absolute brilliance, which which there's quite a few of them that can do that. So there, there will be a fear there, but like you say, tomorrow's tomorrow's a priority. You look at Croatia, even I never thought they brought much today. I thought England were they were professional, they controlled the game. They, they got asked a couple of questions, but still the, the, the chances they created, they should have been out of sight. So I know what the papers are going to say tomorrow. It'll be criticising. It should have been three, four, nil chances missed. It's job done, in my opinion. They got, they got the win. They got the points on the board. On to the next match, and that's and that's what it's all about. So if Scotland, if it's the ugliest game tomorrow, and Scotland win one nil, I'm a happy man. I've never been to Hampden Park for a game. Only twelve thousand Scotland fans, obviously allowed in tomorrow because of COVID restrictions. That's a shame in lots of ways, but. 
what kind of atmosphere am I in store for? Well, I mean, Alex, I think Chris would agree. They will make one hell of a noise um, because they're just glad to be there. And what they're doing, they're watching Scotland in the major finals. So uh, the atmosphere will be electric. I mean, uh, my dad used to take me, Alex. I've seen England at Hamden and there were 130,000 there. We jinky playing against yeah. England to the life out of England. Uh, I've, been, I've been at Hamden Park, Rangers Celtic, Dalgleish whacks it in for Celtic. And it, unbelievable atmospheres. I'm, I'm really sorry that you're not gonna be seeing those, those kind of numbers of fans inside Hamden, but you're gonna see fans inside Hamden. And that in itself is phenomenal. That's the ingredient we need. Yeah, spot on. That 12,000, that will sound like a full house, trust me. You, the players have had to, for the last 13 months, play without fans, create that intensity themselves. Tomorrow when they walk out, oh, I cannot wait just to hear the national anthem as well. Yeah, oh yeah, my, it's going to yeah. be unbelievable. Yeah. And the players, that will spur them on to go there and get the performance and hopefully the result. Some big decisions for Steve Clark yes. to make tactically in terms of personnel. The information that we're hearing tonight is that David Marshall will keep yeah. his place in goal. Stephen O'Donnell likely to play at right wing back still open to debate whether it will be Shea Adams alongside Lyndon Dykes or maybe Ryan Christie comes into the attack. What do you make of the, the goalkeeping situation in particular? I think it's the right call to keep faith with the man who made the penalty save to take Scotland back to the biggest yeah. stage. Yeah, I probably have to agree with you that, that it would be the right call, but I think you look at both goalkeepers, very competent as well. You know, I think both see themselves as number ones and I think that's, that's and they push each other. They've got a fantastic relationship. You've got to remember, there's been a long time David Marshall's been behind Craig Gordon and he's he, he's bided his time, so now he's he's the main man. He's It's his shot to lose, but it's, if you go on club form, you know, again, Craig Gordon finished quite a time ago. He's had to keep himself ticking over with Hearts with the, the, when the season finished. David Marshall's not really been playing, form's not been great. He got taken out of the Derby team. But again, Steve Clark, he knows how to manage players. He knows how to again not upset the group and I, I probably agree David Marshall is probably the right choice loyalties albeit Jim I know you're a massive fan of John McGinn he scored more goals in qualifying than the Republic of Ireland um, <laughs> <laughs> how important will he be? Sorry Republic of Ireland um, I think he'll be vitally important he's got an incredible engine in him um, I, I think he will just perform he's an automatic for me he will go out there uh, one of the, the first names in the team sheet uh, I mean Chris played the game at the highest level I didn't but when you look at McGinn you realise the importance of McGinn especially on a day like this and Alex I'd go as far as to say if, if Scotland are going to win McGinn needs to be 9 or 10 out of 10 because uh, he needs to be on it from the word go and I think he will be and do you know what regarding the goalkeepers whoever plays they both get shed loads of experience yeah. so neither of them you, would you would you think for a moment is is of a mind to you know God will will he get the jitters will he let us down No, they're both hugely experienced. They've been over the course, so either one would do for me. Just finally on the tactical side, there, there has been a bit of a clamour for Billy Gilmore to start this game. Doesn't look like that will happen. Is he someone who can come off the bench and really impact proceedings with that youthful exuberance, that fearlessness that comes with being so young? Well, we've seen that in the Luxembourg game. He came on 30 minutes to go and, and straight away he made an impact, positive impact, and that's all you can ask. I think they're very similar. You know, you look at uh, Gilmer and, 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 and McGregor. I think McGregor's probably a little bit more safer, you know. I think Gilmer knows that he has to come on, take those risks, 
but that's what sometimes the game needs and, and it's fantastic if he does come off the bench you know what you're going to get with him you know there's, there's, there's like you say I think what, what Jim said there about John McGinn he's not phased no matter the size of the occasion he goes out there he knows his strengths he knows that he can pull the, a couple of players with him to get them up there and there's a few leaders like that out there so again it's uh, I'd like to see Gilmer get some minutes if he was starting tomorrow I wouldn't be phased by that at all because I think he's up for it I think he's he's got the technical ability I think he's got the, the, the mentality to go out there and still perform I don't think he'll be phased by it because he's, he's, he's played on big platforms before you know he's been on big stages and, and performed so again uh, it just shows you it's, it's one for the future but again he can definitely bring something at, at this present time before I let you both go because I can see that the starters have arrived give, yeah. give us a prediction oh Alex um, I'm going to I'm going to do it I mean uh, Chris we shouldn't should we but I'm going to do it 2-1 Scotland incidentally this is the Duke's umbrella isn't it I've just had a text from the Duchess apparently she's livid she just gets soaked <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying but do you know what that, that feels like the perfect end note we are absolutely buzzing here in Glasgow it's live on Talk Sport the build up starts at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon we can't wait Scotland can't come wait come on Scotland let's do it what was the starter by the way well funny you should say that because uh, David Tanner is part of our uh, Scotland squad as well although he is based in the North East which is where the Scotland training camp is where the team is staying and he frowned upon my choice of starter when the bill uh, was put in the WhatsApp group I had uh, Charcuterie um, which is basically um, <laughs> Charcuterie you had it's a That's French it. word. Charcuterie. <laughs> <laughs> or did you think it was some Scottish delicacy? You haven't settled very well, have you? <laughs> Which is basically um, sliced sausages. And, and he said that was a straight red car defence. Wow. Well, yeah, it's not traditional Scottish fare. Have you had any haggis since you've been there? I haven't, but I am a fan of haggis and I will oh, be trying that. Haggis oh. with single malt whiskey as gravy. You can't beat that. Yeah, it's it, it's beautiful. Right, so much to get through, including a look at some of the action that happened on Sunday that didn't involve England. We'll look back at the opening game as well. And we'll go off to Baku very shortly. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
I don't think we can go much further without discussing Christian Eriksen, who collapsed after suffering a cardiac arrest in the middle of the Denmark game with Finland on Saturday afternoon. He's in hospital now and he's been stabilised after what was a traumatic experience for him, his team, the supporters inside the ground and everybody watching. Also, his family were present at the game and it was a horrific experience for them and all involved. The team doctor has spoken at a press conference in the last 24 hours and said he was gone. We did the cardiac resuscitation. It was a cardiac arrest. How close were we to losing him? I don't know, but we got him back after one defib, so that's quite fast. However, at one stage, he was gone. The team doctor revealing that Denmark's players and staff were visited by a psychologist on Saturday night. And in hindsight, he says he feels the game should not have resumed. Alex, I know you were commentating. I was watching it live. I thought it was traumatic. I thought it was um, horrendous to watch. I felt so helpless and sorry and traumatised by what we were seeing. And I think we probably saw too much, really. But I do think the consensus is that it shouldn't have continued. I I don't want to revisit it too much because I do believe Mm. that we've probably poured over it too long now. And I think that the key message is encouraging. He is awake and has been awake and is being dealt with and seems to be in in a much better place. But I think the feeling is, even from the likes of Peter Schmeichel, that that game should not have been restarted 90 minutes after that awful incident? Not for me. I think, um, you know, I've got three sons in the game and um, I was watching the game and, and listening to it. And when we seen them scenes with Christian on the floor and uh, the defib being brought out and CPR being um, executed, it was harrowing and uh, it was really upsetting. I think we were just about to have a barbecue watching the game and we, none of us had we were like absolutely stunned and like just couldn't take our eyes off the telly, hoping and praying that he was all right. We was emotionally drained. I don't even know Christine Eriksen. Um, so what the what his teammates must have been and looking at their faces and the facials and the way that the... Yeah, and you think about what Casper's been through in his life, you know, yeah. forget about that incident. He's been through so much, but it reminds me of a, a, a game what I played in um, and uh, we played against Reading away on 9-11 and we went back up to the hotel, uh, back back up to our hotel rooms and we saw the scenes, what happened in 9-11. And I got to the game, I was captain in West Ham on the, on the day and I got to the, the, the game and I was emotionally drained. I couldn't play. And I think the players must have felt similar to that, having to play uh, straight after. So for me, it shouldn't have been played. It shouldn't be played for the following day and give everyone a little bit of time to kind of process what had gone on and, and, and try and digest it and deal with it the best way. It was a difficult decision, wasn't it? Because from what I'm told, the players were given two choices, basically come back and finish it now or come back at midday tomorrow. And I think the the Denmark coach, Kasper Juhlman, they're a unique position, very unenviable position, really was of the belief that how could they go home, get any sleep and possibly be ready to come back and play the next day? If we've got to finish this game, let's just get it out of the way, I think was probably their thinking. But you mentioned the... That the psychological effect it had on the players. Simon Kerr was an absolute hero, mm. um, the Denmark captain. So was Kasper Schmeichel. And again, hats off to him when you look at the, the, the traumatic events that he's had to go through already with, with the Leicester helicopter crash. Yeah. I'm sure there would have been some memories brought back for him, but the way that he consoled uh, Christian Eriksen's partner for me was one of the abiding images of the evening. But Simon Kerr as well, helping 
um, Christian get into the recovery position, setting up that shield of privacy, um, to use David Conley, my co-commentator's words, uh, to protect Christian Eriksen um, from the media spotlight as best he could. He was taken off, what, 20 minutes into the second half? Mm. Now, I don't have the stats, but I don't think Simon Kerr gets taken off 20 minutes into the second half very much in his international career. That is clearly a sign that what happened to Christian Eriksen, his good friend, had affected him and that he wasn't in a mental state to play the game. Yeah, um, our best wishes to the Denmark staff, the players and everybody involved with that team. And I do hope that uh, their participation in the tournament isn't blighted by what happened at the weekend, although I'm sure they don't really care about that. Agreed. It, it was Jurgen Klopp, wasn't it, who said that football is the, the most important, the least important things. And I think we're, we were all of the belief on, on Saturday afternoon, early evening, that who wins and loses any football match this European Championships now is, is largely irrelevant. For me, Simon Kerr should get the player of the tournament award just for what he did that night. Neither moving towards the edge of the penalty area. No goals between Austria and North Macedonia. Chip into the penalty area and a goal for Austria. Early on with Stefan Leiner at the far post. What a finish from Stefan Leiner on the far post. Now an opportunity for Pandev. And North Macedonia have scrambled an equaliser. Keeper came off his line, Bachmann, and Pandev is there. And that is quite a remarkable response from Goran Pandev. Bachmann has to do better. What can he make of it as he plays it short here towards Savica? Into the area, good save by the keeper. Real opportunity, that one, for Grigoric. And there was the keeper, equal to it superbly, Dimitrevsky. What a fantastic save from Dimitrevsky. Now the ball's whipped in towards the six-yard area, and the goal is in. And the goal scorer for Austria is Gregoric. Is that the goal that gives Austria their first ever win in the Euro finals? It's Austria 2, North Macedonia 1. Now an opportunity again here as Austria look to put it to bed. An opportunity here. And the goal scorer is who else but Marko Anatovic. Anatovic is the man. And it's Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. That is game over, done and dusted. And he's blown the full-time whistle. And it is Austria's first ever win in the Euro finals. And the seventh attempt, it's finished in Bucharest. Austria 3, North Macedonia 1. Elsewhere this weekend, Austria beat North Macedonia by three goals to one. And Austria won their first game at the European Championships. They've never won one before. Franco Foda, who is West German, not very popular with the Austrian fans, negative tactics, etc., etc. Uh, but um, they certainly didn't have everything their own way. In fact, it, it actually took them till quite late in the second half uh, to get in front and then to get themselves into a position of relative superiority. The second goal, which came from a David Alaba cross into... Gregoric uh, was absolutely superb. And then Arnautovic scoring late on in the game and then getting rather uh, animated. <laughs> he did a Katzbayer. <laughs> yeah, he did a bit of a Tamuri Katzbayer. <laughs> getting really irritated about the fact that he hadn't been picked from the start, I think. I love um, that. You know, it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was an interesting end to what was a good story already because aged 37 years and 321 days, North Macedonia's Goran Pandev uh, became the second oldest player ever to score a Euro. See, you can keep going. 
And it was put on a plate for him as well, wasn't it? It was a ridiculous goal, full of mistakes. Uh, simple finish in the end, but fair play to him. He's stuck in there. He's continued and he's got his uh, just rewards. So, yeah, Pandev got his rewards. But what, I mean, what a, what a ball by Alaba for the for the uh, for the oh, goal that took Austria into the lead it, I, I mentioned it earlier to a couple of friends and it weren't just the the cross it was the reverse movement before he got the ball the feint then to look like he's going to cross it then getting a little more of a half a yard and then just to put it into that corridor asking one of the strikers get across and you'll get your rewards and it, yeah fabulous goal and then as you mentioned Sam Arnautovic West Ham fans know him very well um, but that was one where it's one of them where you think he's got the quality because it was a great little bit of link-up play. But then can you be bothered dealing with the Maverick? Because the quality is certainly still there. But I think the trouble and the baggage that goes with him might be a little bit too much. Do you know what? It's funny. You speak to Stuart Pearce and he says, oh, he's absolutely no trouble at all. Really? It's Surprised about that. It's interesting you mentioned Stuart Pearce because I was told a while ago that Arnautovic would be very keen uh, to come back to West Ham and that David Moyes, in fact, would welcome him back with open arms and what you've just said there about Stuart Pearce probably backs that up I think the issue uh, is the backlash from the fans due to the manner of his departure mm-hmm. and whether Messrs Gold and Sullivan would be willing to welcome him back given the way that he forced his way out of the club last and, time around and, and the humongous wages that he might be on <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'll be getting humongous wages this time around, that is for sure. Um, Belgium beat Russia 3-0 on Saturday evening. I was lucky enough to do this game. Um, Romelu Lukaku looked in, in sparkling form. Russia were really poor, I thought. They started the game actually trying to play a little bit, and I think that was their undoing. They made a success of the World Cup in 2018 by banking up and not letting anybody penetrate their their resolute defence. But they switched to a four midway through the first half, then went back to a three. They tried to get Golovin in the game by pushing the ball around in midfield. They had to make an early substitution, but ultimately I, I thought they were a little bit too expansive and played into Belgium's hands. Goalkeeper was poor as well. And I think that was something that Kevin Hatchard picked out as a, a cause for concern when we did the preview podcast, the big preview, because of course they were trying to get Akin Fayev out of retirement. And probably now you can see why. But again, I, I would probably use the same terminology for Belgium as for England. I think it was solid. I don't think it was spectacular. Obviously, they were missing one or two key players. I think they can play better. I think they will grow uh, into the tournament. And I think Lukaku will win the golden boot, as I told you last week. Well done. Another bold... Outside prediction from Alex. <laughs> Actually, looking at that game, we, we mentioned it as well. We spoke about it, Sam. There's a couple of naughty challenges in that game. The one, uh, the head the head uh, collision, I thought that was a poor challenge. Well, you and I were texting at half-time, weren't we? And we both thought that the, the one that led to Castagna being substituted, the Russian player was actually guilty of sort of almost taking his eye off the ball and sort of pulling out of the challenge and by pulling out of the challenge he ended up causing more damage to to Castagna he probably should have been yellow carded for that at least at least I mean I was looking at it again and if you're going to go with your head which is a pretty dangerous weapon if you're if you know that you're because it was obvious to me that he wasn't going to get to the ball first no so you have to at some stage in that process think right I'm just going to delay or I'm going to pull out of this challenge but he still went in with his head knowing that he was going to headbutt Castagna. I thought it was a dangerous challenge. I thought it could quite easily have seen red. And now you look at Castagna, he's, I think he's, he's done his eye socket. He's broke his eye socket. He's, he's out of the tournament. And what a shame for, for a dangerous challenge, which actually wasn't punished. So, yeah, I think the referee should have dealt with that a little bit more harshly. Yeah, that is a major problem for them as well, isn't it? Because they've probably only got one other right back in Thomas Mounier who can play in that position who came off the bench and actually scored 
He used to be a postman, did you know, uh, wow. Thomas uh, Mounier, which is why he's very good with his delivery. Um, <laughs> to the opening game, Italy against Turkey. Italy 3-0 winners. Now, I thought they did look like the real deal, Crook. Yeah, I did. Um, and it was very non Italian performance if we if we're looking at Italian teams from from previous tournaments normally you you associate them with being stubborn to break down very pragmatic actually they played some really good football created plenty of chances and and possibly could have won by more I was really underwhelmed and disappointed by Turkey all the hipsters were telling us they'd be the dark horses <laughs> for this tournament uh, Trevor Sinclair there putting his hand up. Um, listen, they might improve Turkey and I think they're going to have to because they were, sh- they were a shambles but Italy uh, looked like a team who could go deep into the draw and what about those suits? Oh, oh. different great. I mean, I looked at, class. not being funny but I looked at the England photo and we, our suits look, I think they're from Marks and Spencers. It looked like and a they looked like, photo, didn't They it? looked like they were off, off, the, off the shelf, straight on, bang. And then you look at what the Italians were wearing. Mancini oh a million dollars in the other Roberto. Side, well stunning. And even and even Andre Bocelli, you know, I was I was tearing up when I was listening to him and watching that opening ceremony and his whistle and his shades. And I, I went to watch him in 2004 and I was pregnant with uh, our youngest Colby and He's just an emotional guy to go and watch. 20,000 people, walks out on stage on his own and then just blows your mind. Amazing, amazing opening ceremony. We were lucky to be at the Leicester City uh, crowning coronation when they won the title and he sang Ness and Derma there as well. It was, it was absolutely superb. Um, Trevor, is that the first time you've ever been described as a hipster, by the way? Probably not. You've seen yeah. some of my photos really? from modelling on the catwalk. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Didn't realise that it was uh, it was it was the done thing to refer to you in such a manner. We will continue to do it. Um, uh, there was nothing hipsterish about Ukraine and Netherlands. It was a fabulous popcorn swashbuckling encounter. Um, but I mean, the Dutch were far too open at the back, really especially towards the end of the game, despite the fact they had five defenders, which someone who was flying a plane overhead wasn't too happy about. Um, and um, the, the Ukrainians actually, I don't know, that they had a bit about them really. And if they got Malinovsky into the game a little bit more and they had someone a little bit more reliable to hold the ball up up top, they probably could have done a little bit better. I mean, the Netherlands missed so many chances in that first half. I thought it was written actually uh, that... Um, Ukraine would come back and nick it, but it didn't turn out that way. Although there was a really late scare when they came back from 2-0 down and it was 2-2 with five minutes to go. Good character from the Dutch, though, to, to surrender a 2-0 lead and, and still find a way to win the game. Um, we're, we're very early in the tournament, but have we already seen the game of the tournament, the goal of the tournament for, from Yarmolenko and, and possibly one of the worst goalkeeping performances of the tournament as well? <laughs> oh, what number harsh. match have we done? What, 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 we've done, what, se- seven matches? We've got n- another <laughs> 44 to go. I'm hoping that there is at least another good match and there's at least a couple more decent goals yet. So keep your powder dry. In fact, you need a bit of powder because you've still got beads of sweat on your nose. I think you just mentioned character there and personality. I thought Ukraine looked down and out with about 25 to go. And then the goals they scored, Yarmolenko's was an absolute worldie. And even uh, Yermak's goal was unbelievable. Great delivery into the box. Great uh, connection. Um, And you thought, you know what? This is going to be... a, a tricky end for, for uh, the Netherlands to get over the line and win this game but they found that and I think it could be a problem 
going to Amsterdam because the atmosphere was banging, the drums were beating. And uh, when they got their tails up, I, I thought the Netherlands looked like a really good outfit. Well, I think they look great going forward. I would be concerned about them at the back. Um, and with all due respect, I don't want to make age a massive thing of this tournament because this is the second time I'm going to reference someone's age today. But Martin Stecklenberg at 38 years, 264 days, the oldest ever player now to play for the Netherlands at a World Cup or European Championship, overtaking Edwin van der Sar's record. He's no Edwin van der Sar, is he? I mean, let's be completely honest. Um, so... Look, I think um, they're a good team. They're an emerging team, but they're a team that's in, a, in the middle of a transitional period. They're rebuilding. They have been away from the international stage since 2014. They haven't played at a European Championship or a World Cup since then. The fact that they're there should be embraced, first of all. They had a wonderful colour. The noise is always great yeah. when the Dutch are involved, but I can't see them doing much to trouble the, the top end of the tournament crook. No, I agree. And and maybe I was a bit uh, harsh when I said that I couldn't see a team with Memphis Depay as their talisman uh, troubling any of the superpowers. Uh, backtracking but, already, Trev. He's backtracking no, already. No, I'm not backtracking. I'm just trying to be nice, uh, which is not my go-to um, setting. Virgil van Dijk's absence, obviously, is, as we said in the preview, is a massive blow. And you've mentioned their defensive frailties. I think it's a very winnable group. What happens beyond missing it? missing Delict as well, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. And I think as you get deeper into the competition, you, you can't afford to be without players like that. I thought Memphis played well. He looks like he's grown up. Even when he got substituted, you could see him going to all the back staff, backroom staff. He just looks like he's grown up. He's a completely different player to when he was at Manchester United. And actually, I thought he had a, a lot of similarities to the way that Jack Grealish plays. You know, he uses his body well. He's got a fantastic touch and he, he knows where space is to attack. Didn't quite happen for him on the night. But yeah, there's some really promising signs from him. He's obviously got his confidence back, his mojo's back, and I expect him to score goals. Here in the heat of Baku, 3,000 miles from home, we pin our hopes on Wales to make a winning start. High cross into the penalty area. Goal. The header is oh. tipped over the top. It was Kiefer Moore with the header. Shakiri's got a low end, flicked on at the near post. And it's a brilliant save by Danny Ward to keep it out. But now they're attacking Mbolo inside the penalty area. Finding Seferovic and he's lofted it too high. Eight yards out. A glorious chance. Now Mbolo spinning behind Rhoda. He can break into the penalty area. And the shot is turned aside superbly by Danny Ward. Corner kick high into the penalty area. Down Header from Mbolo and Switzerland have taken the lead. Wales falling asleep at the set piece. It's Connor Roberts is marking him. You know, he's that busy trying to grapple him. Pick the flight of the ball up and just head it. It's poor defending. Zafarovic was waiting for the early cross, but it was a shot from Mbolo and it was inches wide of that far post. The roll with the cross. Oh. The header yeah. is in! Kiefer Moore with the equaliser! And that is why he had to be in this Wales team. Robert Page, a genius. We all thought he was going to play Harry Wilson. He stuck with Kiefer Moore and that's why he's there. Rodriguez with the delivery high into the penalty. Another free header. And this time it's tipped over the top by Ward. Switzerland plowed on the pressure. But the red wall stood firm. Full time in the Olympic Stadium in Baku. Wales won. Switzerland won.
Well, on Saturday afternoon, Baku hosted Wales against Switzerland. It finished 1-1. A good draw, really, and a solid start for Wales, which was witnessed by Nigel Adley for Talk Sport. Um, Nigel, hello. Hi, Sam. How's Baku? I hope you've been applying your sun cream. I haven't, and I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm a bit lobster thermidor at the moment. It's been a very, very hot here, and we are right on the seafront um, across the Caspian Sea. The weather's been terrific, and, and it's been a fantastic place to be part of so far. I don't think there's any other venue in Euro, Euro uh, 2020 like this, but at the same time, it, it's been a very interesting experience. Yeah, you talk about the fact that there's no other venue like it. Talk to me through the, the, the situation with the ticketing, because as far as I understand it, there were a lot more tickets available for Saturday's game than there were people inside the stadium when the game kicked off. Has that been a little bit of a bone of contention? I think it's a disappointment because it's a huge stadium. Uh, Chelsea and Arsenal fans may remember it from the Europa League final a couple of years ago. 70,000, wonderful venue. They could have had 31,000 there for the game on Saturday against Switzerland. And I reckon there were four to 5,000 there. The official attendance wow. was 8,700, but there was nowhere near that many people inside the stadium. 500 Welsh fans, possibly 100 Swiss and a few locals as well. But the tickets are very, very expensive compared to the to the relative normal wage in Azerbaijan. So I think had they maybe pitched the tickets a bit lower, there would have been more fans there. It will be different when Wales play Turkey on Wednesday because Turkey and Azerbaijan have very cordial relationships and we think there will be a considerable uh, support inside the stadium for Turkey for that game. Yeah, talk to me through the Wales approach for this Turkey game, because as you said, there's going to be quite a lot of Turkish fans that are coming into Azerbaijan for the match. And they got a little bit lucky in their match against Switzerland. They were hanging on towards the end of it. They were lucky that VAR was in operation because Gavranovic had a goal disallowed towards the end. Um, will they change their tactics for, for Turkey? Because for a lot of that match, they seem to be bypassing midfield and going up to Kiefer Moore. I think they will try to be more solid and we may see a change to a back three rather than the back four because Joe Rodon and Chris Meppen really had problems against Mbolo and Seferovic throughout the game. And I think that when Wales needed to be solid in the final 10 minutes, having scored the goal through Kiefer Moore, they were very porous. And I think Switzerland should have won the game. Had Seferovic had his shooting boots on in the first half, they could have been two or three goals up. And But for Danny Ward, who was outstanding, that would have been a big win for Switzerland. So I think Wales have to try and feed off the momentum they can get from a, a positive point in the end. But we don't know what Turkey will turn up because we've been discussing them as potential dark horses in the build-up to the tournament. And they were dreadful against a very good Italian side on Friday. Will they come here now with a point to prove or will they crumble? We, we just don't know. Um, five years ago, Kiefer Moore was playing in the National League in an England semi-pro international. I mean, he, he really has given the Welsh attack a different dynamic. They do use him as an outball quite a lot. But they've also played in recent warm-up games, the false nine. And the speed of Daniel James on the counter-attack did cause the Swiss problems. Is that something that they might switch to against the Turkey team that looked a little bit leggy? I must be honest. Well, it would be a big call to leave out Kiefer Moore now, considering the goal he scored and the impact he had in that game on Saturday. Harry Wilson, of course, would be the preferred player to come in possibly as a false nine. But are Wales playing well enough 
to make the most of that sort of formation to play their way through the Turks because it, they are a very decent side on form. And, and Wales at the moment, if you take their last few games, they are not playing particularly well. But the point is they are getting results and they're getting results because Kiefer Moore has been a real presence for them. Will he be the same against uh, Demiral and Soyuncu, two central defenders who I think would relish a physical challenge in that game coming up on Wednesday. So I, I think it's something that Rob Page has got to wrestle with over the next couple of days. And also, he needs his big players to really turn up. It was great to see Allen, Bale and Ramsey all starting for Wales for a change. It's not happened for a long time due to injury, but none of them really made a massive impact against Switzerland. And that simply has to change if Wales are to make any progress in this tournament. Yeah, goal scoring has been a real problem. It was in qualifying, wasn't it? Wales scored just 1.25 goals per game in the qualification campaign, which was 10 goals in eight matches. It's the joint lowest of any of the 24 sides to qualify for the tournament alongside North Macedonia. There is a little bit of me, though, that believes that this might be a bit of a ding-dong, really, because of the number of chances that they conceded against Switzerland and the fact that actually Turkey themselves conceded over 24 chances against Italy on Friday night. Um, we mentioned that the, the, the stadium wasn't full on uh, Saturday, but how has the tournament as a whole been embraced in Baku? Have, have they got Euro 2020 fever? Well, you have all the bunting around and, and there's no doubt that people are determined to give you a, a very warm welcome. I think it's maybe slightly similar to what we had with Russia three years ago. Are we seeing the Baku and the Azerbaijan that possibly you would see in regular times. I, I don't really know, but it's unfortunate the fan part they had developed on the seafront, that's all closed due to COVID-19. But I, I think they are excited to have top-class football here because, of course, Azerbaijan were nowhere near qualification. They hoped to get into the uh, Euros through the Nations League. That didn't happen. But I think they appreciate there are some world-class teams coming here. It's the sort of quality of football they don't usually get. And I'm, I think... Had the ticket prices been more competitive for the locals, we would have seen more people inside the stadium on Saturday. And I'm sure there will be more there on Wednesday. And, and it's going to be great because if we do have 15,000 Turkish fans in the stadium, it will completely transform the atmosphere. During the first half on Saturday, there was a hum in the ground. It was rather like the opening morning of a Lord's Test match rather than a European Championship game. It will be very, very different if we can get the Turkish fans in there on Wednesday. Um, look, obviously, you're with Dean Saunders, Hugh Wozencroft uh, and uh, producer Dave uh, out in Baku. Uh, what have you been getting up to apart from the football? What, what food have you had? What, what things have you seen? I know that you've been taking quite a few pictures on Instagram. I've been following you closely. It's been great. I mean, there is, it's a spectacular place. Uh, the skyline is, is almost like something you would see in New York. You've got the huge flame towers springing up in one corner yeah. of, of Baku. You've got a, a massive carpet museum, which is in the shape of a rolled-up carpet, which <laughs> oh, looks absolutely That sounds right up your street, fantastic. Nigel. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Fascinating museum. <laughs> yeah, I'm always on the carpet, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's, you know, there are so many great venues here. Uh, Eurovision was held here a few years ago. They were very proud to have that. The Crystal Hall is, um, is, is a fantastic venue out on the waterfront. And if you go into the city, into the old town, it's a really good place to go and, and sightsee. The Wales team actually came out of the hotel for the first time and went round the old town earlier on Sunday. And I think they appreciated just getting out and seeing something of the place they are visiting because due to the COVID restrictions, that's been very, very tight for them so far. As for the food, it, it's been 
very good. It's, it's almost Turkish food, um, a, a bit of Asian food thrown in as well, and you know, plenty of it. And you know, we're in a Muslim country, so there's not a huge amount of alcohol, which I think is probably a bit of a benefit to us because you go out and they offer you a, a non-alcoholic fruit cocktail, which has been, which has been very good, I think, um, when you're working at a tournament. So it's a very different experience. And I don't think it's something we'll experience elsewhere in Europe during this tournament. But I think that the tournament has been enriched for Baku's presence nonetheless. Cheers, Nigel. Thank you very much. Cheers, Sam. Nigel Adley uh, joining us uh, from Baku. A big game in midweek that looks tasty. France against Germany. France look the faves for the whole thing, don't they, really? One of Manuel Neuer's finest accomplishments uh, in recent times was keeping out Kylian Mbappe during the 2020 Champions League final. But keeping France at bay when they arrive in Munich, Trevor, to take on Germany should be a very different task. It will be a different task as long as they don't... Self-combust the French. There's already rumours coming out that there's a big fallout between Giroud and Mbappe. And uh, when you've got two huge characters and two hugely important players in that French squad that could be falling out, that could be a problem. And that might be um, a little ray of light for the rest of the nations because looking at the squad strength, you know, from the goalkeeper through the back line, midfield and forwards, they do look like the team to beat. And uh, this could be something that could put a little spanner in the works for the French. Uh, what, why would you think that there was a feud between these two? I mean, I think Giroud made some comments after a friendly. It was taken as a, his movement a, a, and, a swipe. Yeah. Um, Mbappe thought that actually he should have said it to his face rather than going out publicly and, and saying something. Mbappe is known as... Uh, mini Obama, I think, he, he, because of his diplomatic ability. Wow. I mean, even at 19 years of age, he was dealing with issues in the United Nations. He, he's, he's very much into sort of conflict resolution rather than than spicing up a, a dressing room. It is a bit of a surprise that those two players in particular mm. are involved in a feud. I mean, to be honest with you, the fact that it is those two that are involved in a feud probably gives the sort of suggestion that it's not going to be that serious. Mm. Yeah, I that's, think it would be more worrying if it, if, it, if it was Benzema. But I think this this could be a good time for, for Germany to play France if ever there's a, a good time to come up against such a, a quality outfit because we know... If, History tells us that under Didier Deschamps, they don't necessarily hit the ground running at major tournaments. They very much feel their way into the competition. Germany have home advantage. They have Thomas Muller back in their ranks, which I think the German fans have been crying out for for a long time. I don't think France will have this game all their own way. They're probably quite content to settle for a draw away from home, in all honesty. Uh, Germany look like putting uh, Kimmich back uh, on the right-hand side of their defence, which I think is important for them. Um, they've got ball players in that middle of the midfield. Gundogan is one of them. Kroos, excellent, although he's getting on in his years. And if you press him and sit on top of him, he, you can nullify him. And, and Golo Conte will try to do that. Hummels is back, adds a little bit of calmness. I'm not sure uh, it's going to end in a goal fest, to be honest with you. I think many people looked at this fixture and, and you can see Muller, you can see the attacking talents of, of, of some of the younger Germans like Serge Gnabry and then Mbappe, Benzema, Griezmann. But mm. actually, I, I'm happy to be proved wrong here, but I would be suggesting that France win this one or maybe 2-0. 20 games, yeah, I one mean, friendly defeat and they concede very few goals. Yeah, it almost, it, it's got the look of a final, a European final to it. So what usually happens in finals is it's the odd goal that wins it. It's um, So I expect it to be like that too, Sam. And uh, 
I was supposed to be commentating on that game, so I'm a little bit gutty because I am in isolation at the moment, but I'll be watching it on TV. Oh, that is disappointing for you, isn't it? Mm. Oh, I, you got air conditioning? <laughs> I haven't, but I'm not in Scotland, so I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, well, you're, you're not in a box, further, right? So basically, further, I, I got into this room, him, right? I got into this room earlier, and they, you know, massive windows, curtains fully open, the sun beating down the room. I thought, it's okay, it's sweltering, but we got air conditioning. Dead as a dodo. <laughs> Have you spoken to the hotel about getting that fixed? I tried to ring them just before we came uh, on air to do this podcast. They didn't answer the phone twice. I will be going down to reception to make my feelings abundantly what, what clear. What floor are you on? Only the third, so it's not too bad. Okay, please take the stairs anyway just to whip up a bit more of a sweat because <laughs> it, it's so so picturesque for us to for you to... To be on Zoom looking as <laughs> handsome as you look right now. I nearly took my shirt off. Well, <laughs> if wow. you could just refrain for a few more minutes, that would be great. Gentlemen, it's been great to speak to you uh, again on the uh, Game Day podcast, the Euro Game Day podcast. Uh, we're back a little bit later in the week. Uh, Thursday with Kevin Hatchard as we look ahead to the weekend, including England against Scotland by which time we would have seen Germany once, which is good because they're playing Portugal at the weekend. The big games keep on coming and they're all on TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.